This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. We got the OG crew. We got Matt, Eric, and Ryan. We're digging into Matthew 12, and there's a lot of different sections here for us to get into. Obviously, we kind of left some stuff uh, to be desired at the end of our discussion last week, but over the next couple of weeks and even a little bit this week, we'll get more into that. So, uh, Ryan, if you would mind, hit us off with this first section here. Let's read Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8. At the time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But then the Pharisees saw it and said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read that David... Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane, in the temple profane this? I can't read with the microphone. You can, and you're doing it. So keep doing it. It keeps, it keeps, (laughs) keeps like, I'm like, oh man, my eyes. Uh, Okay. Or have you not read in the law how the in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and ate guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the sons of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So obviously here we have at the very beginning we have this issue. Why are you giggling over there? <laughs> right? I think Ryan's. I think Ryan's playing 3D chess here, and he's trying to not get asked to read again. Well, well I'm also like, I'm gonna be real honest. If we're getting close to you're not and getting the invitation I, anymore, and, and I'm okay with that because, like, I have to talk directionally into the mic. And so now I'm afraid if I go over here to read, look at well, we all have over two here. eyes. And no. Hey, yeah, hey look, watch difficult. this. You see this? See what I'm doing? You I said to, they ate have to do this. guiltless. What exactly are they eating? What does guiltless taste like? <laughs> yeah. What, what exactly was that? Sabbath what? and are guiltless. All right. Well, Ryan. Did I say they ate guiltless? Yeah, you they did. Ate, uh, <laughs> I can't read. Are good. you hungry? Yeah. Uh, hey, we know Forrest. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll keep uh, we'll keep going with this, but we'll, we'll, oh, but don't, don't worry, Ryan. You'll never get asked to do anything ever again. Um, thank you. This is my but, last time on the forging table. I'll miss you guys. <laughs> But so we have here, we have, um, you know, typically at this time, the people were, because of the law, they would keep, they would not, uh, I can't think of the farming word, they would not, you know, glean, glean from the edges. Okay. You're back in everyone's good graces <laughs> yeah. with the glean. I really can Look read. So. <laughs> no one's convinced of that. Um, but they would leave the edges of the field for the poor and the hungry to be able to eat. And it was like, you could almost just see the Pharisees were lying in wait, watching Jesus and his crew and being like, I wonder if they want a snack. Because the thing is, is the law allowed for it, but the oral tradition from what I gather made it kind of a, a little bit of a gray area, but they just took an inch, that inch of gray area and just ran with it. It's like you freaking nerds. There like, wasn't really a gray area though. Like they really wanted just to make it like to make it bad because yeah. what you were weren't supposed to do on the Sabbath is like farm your grain and make a profit. You weren't supposed to make a profit on the Sabbath. Like you could feed yourself. You could go and get grain for yourself, but you couldn't make a profit on it. Well, and what they were doing was expressly permitted. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah, David yeah. went into the temple and ate the bread of the priests. Why? Because he had to fill his army. You know, what so I, yeah, what I just get, reaching for straws. What I get yeah. here is they're they're trying to like grasp at authority. This is a challenge to authority. Whose authority are you going to listen to, ours or Jesus? Yeah, maybe maybe they were doing it for the people that were watching yeah. that interaction. It's like like they know the law. If somebody if somebody doesn't know the law and a, a you know, a doer of the law and a teacher of the law says, you're doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath, one might go, oh yeah, yeah, they, they would know. Oh man, yeah. this guy. It's kind of so like what I the Catholics this is, this did before an, the this Reformation. Is a, this is an authority play here. Yeah. yeah, I think you're really hitting on something that I hadn't really thought of before to where it's like, how, how often do we default to something? 
some dude in a white coat says, ah, you probably shouldn't eat this or that. And you, you give no regard the to the fact that they did like three weeks of nutrition training in their like 12 years of school to become a doctor. And it's like, okay, maybe don't listen to the fat doctor about whether you should eat this or that. But it's just like, well, they're wearing a white coat yeah. or they have a, a PhD or, you know, they're my pastor or whatever. And we just like go brain dead. It's what Joe Boot calls the cult of the expert. Yeah. And we just, we just bow to that because like they're wearing a white coat. They, why would they lie? When it's the appeal to authority, when yeah, someone right. makes an argument and they're like, they're appealing, well, this guy who is an expert says this, it's like, correct. And experts used to tell us that the, you know, sun revolved around the earth and that the earth was flat. Like these were the experts, the smartest people of their day said these things that ended up being false. So they might be really smart, but they could also be super wrong. I really love those people where they're like, well, I did this countless amounts of research and I wrote this paper and then it got published and then it was this. And like, now you have to believe whatever I say. I love it's that they like, sound, they sound like that. That's a, that's, that's, an, elitist, that's, that's really an elitist good. sound. They also, <laughs> they also look like actually, that. Yeah. Yeah. did you know, there's absolutely no research behind, um, <laughs> the eight, eight ounce glasses of water per day. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. You've heard that all your life. Interesting. Right? Yeah. yeah. I no sure research. Have. No research yep. around it, but, but you should do it. it. But why? Why should we do it if oh, there's no God. research well, around to, it? No, to, your, to your point, you drink because, water. because the doctor said. <laughs> the doctor yeah, exactly. said. Right. And hey, if we stay six feet apart from each other, we can't get each other sick. And also hey, COVID ooh. can't get you if you're sit- seating, you know, seated, seated down, seated down, seating down, seated down. Seated down. sitting down. That's right. I can't read. So you're good. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't really get a You can't here. read. And I don't talk so good. <laughs> hey, but before we move off of this section to keep this going. I am guilty of this as we proved in the, in the, the last one where I talked about, Hey, you can read something so many times and not get something out of it. This time when I read verse eight, I was like, Whoa, whenever Jesus said for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath, that had to have been just an absolutely shocking thing for the Pharisees to hear. That's like, like, like nails on a chalkboard. Right. And it's just like, wait a minute. It's almost like in the, the, the scene from, from the chosen season three, where, you know, people are like, that's not in the Bible. And, but it was basically where they were like, that's a violation of the law of Moses. And then Jesus walks up to the, the Pharisee and says, I am the law of Moses. It was that type of a moment. He said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And then we basically don't get a follow-up on that as we move into verse nine, but it was just like, go ahead. One thing to talk about the Sabbath though, why was it put together? It was put together as a gift from God for yeah. us to relax and then also to worship him and to know who he is. You know, that's what the Sabbath was for. It was a gift. It wasn't like, it wasn't something to break our backs. It wasn't something like, oh, you got to be on the lookout and make sure you don't do these certain things on the Sabbath. It was like, no, it gives you a day of rest. It's something that's good for you and your human body. And two, you can use that to worship God for who he is. It is a representation done. of what Jesus talks about in chapter 11. Like take, take my yoke because it yeah. is easy and light. The Sabbath was to be that yep. to the Jewish people. And they kept adding, they, look, they took the easiest yoke that they could possibly have in the law and they added to it. And we do that today still. You know yeah. why I think I always thought people were saying it was saying yoke instead of yoke is because everybody mispronounces it. Like you just did, Eric, I you did, did it last time. Yep. I freaking did it. I can't just say yoke for whatever reason. Did I always I, throw an, an L in there. Did I say yoke? You I, probably did. I, I probably said yoked. No, I don't think so. Yoked. Yoked. No, yoked is what happens when you go to the gym all the time. You get yoked, right? That's different, right? No, we didn't have to go that far. Wow. Well, hey, we need to read the next section. So who should we have read? I'll do Not it. Ryan. I'll do it. I'll do nope. it. Just nope. let me read. Let me redeem nope. myself. No, you're absolutely Please, fired. Let me redeem myself. You want to read nine through 14? Yes, I'll do it. That's like a whole paragraph now. I know. <laughs> okay. I'm all a little right. scared. And, and <laughs> it says devolved. <laughs> he went on from there and entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you who has a, has sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will it, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Oh, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. And how to inspired against conspired against him how to destroy him. <laughs> I feel like I work for Make a Wish. It's like no, I'm not. I look like I am like the recipient of Make a Wish. I am not allowing that again. You you almost got there, and then you just stepped on your own. It's you because know I highlighted. No, no, that has nothing to do with. Speaking of highlighters, I've been watching Matt over here. Is this a crayon? Is this uh, a no, highlighter? It's a Bible. It's a, it's a, it's a Bible. Those are good. 
Okay, so shout out to Salt and Light for their dry gel highlighter. Yeah, they're great. It's like a crown. Okay, they're not a sponsor of the show. Just wanted to point that out. Okay, so let's talk about this section here. There's nothing in the Old Testament that prohibits healing on the Sabbath, like at all. There's nothing there. So again, we have the the Pharisees kind of hopping on something. And Ryan, that was actually a really good point. Like I said, it was kind of a gray area when when it really wasn't. It really wasn't a gray area. This also isn't a gray area. But let's just talk a little bit about the hypocrisy of... And, and I love how Jesus puts it. It's like, okay, if a sheep falls in somewhere, you're going to pull that sheep out. No big deal. But you don't care about humans. And he's baiting the Pharisees to be like, yeah, we would save our sheep, but almost like screw those humans. It's the Sabbath. And it's just like, wait a minute. Like they know the value proposition of protecting and saving a human versus an animal. And yet they're on the side of the animal here. He's showing their greed mm. because yeah. With, yeah. with them having sheep, their sheep creates profit. So yeah, they'll jump into the pit and save the sheep because the sheep's going to give them profit after the Sabbath. But is healing somebody going to bring them any type of profit? No. It is always lawful to do good. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Well, the thing, the thing that's so interesting here with this story, because obviously we could talk about this whole story and not talk about how amazing it was that a guy had a jacked up hand and then all of a sudden his hand was cool. Like again, like that, that's pretty awesome. But in verse 14, so the Pharisees see this sign. They see a dude with, you know, the messed up hand and his hands healed in their first reaction, their immediate reaction. We got to get rid of this guy. We got to destroy this guy. Again, I don't want to ever seem so naive as to believe that if I were a Pharisee in that day, that I wouldn't act the exact same way and try to find a way to, to get rid of this, you know, this Jewish carpenter because he's, you know, just making me feel funny. But at the same time, it's hard to read that and be like, how is that your reaction? How is that your default mechanism to go there? I don't get it. Well, that should be convicting to us too. Cause like if we, if we are reading the Bible and we, and we really do want to put ourselves in the story, I think that's natural, mm-hmm. but most often we are the Pharisees in, in those situations where how many times have you seen something in your first reaction was, ah, oh, that guy, that guy's not a, not a godly man, or, or you question that, or you critique something that's happening. So, I don't know. I think, I think we, should, we should go into those types of situations with a, an open mind. I think it comes down to what you talked about the last episode with circumstances. It's like, what kind of circumstance are you in? Um, what circumstances are these Pharisees and Sadducees in? And so, I think they're, they're looking at Christ based upon their own circumstance and their own pride than they are looking at themselves. And I think that's what it comes down to with the saving grace of Christ is that one, we have to look at our total depravity. Um, we got to look at how depraved we are. And these Pharisees and Sadducees don't see themselves as depraved. They see themselves as godly. No, all power and authority had been given to them within the Jewish community. And Jesus is literally saying all power and authority has been given to me by God because he is my father and I am the son. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're being, they're, their whole position is being challenged. Yeah. And they're, and, and they're taking this, and they're, they're, there's like a level of investment with each one of these, either things that Jesus says or does, they're, they're investing a little bit more kind of based on what power they have. And they, they're kind of getting to a point where they're going to the just pure lack of logic. And so Jesus is answering very logically, but they're just, they're going, they're doubling down. And I wonder if it's a pragmatism for them because their jobs are being potentially undermined, right? And so if you think about it, like I've talked about this before, a lot of people that are in the abolitionist movement for abortion, Mm. they will point to other people that are in the supposedly pro-life movement that they will be an activist in a way that would never lead to the full diminishment of the process of abortion here in America. Because the thing is, is let's say that we got abortion criminalized across the board and we convinced everybody that they shouldn't get abortions no matter what, even if it were legal, then none of these people have jobs anymore. They can't raise funds. They, they can't, you know, live their lavish lifestyles that some of them are living. And so it's kind of the same thing. This almost feels like, let's say you could prove that me driving my Silverado is going to help the earth, you know, basically get swallowed up by the universe in the next 12 years or whatever the, the new timeline is. Well, like if I work in oil and gas, that would be, and I were convinced of that, oh man, I've got this, this tension now because it's like, I'm working in an industry that is actively going to kill the planet. And so it's almost like here, they're like, wait a minute, 
maybe they think this guy's legit, but they're just like, to a degree, it's like, I want my job. I want people to look at me, look to me. And to your point, Matt, it's like, they're not going to be looking to me if this guy's legit. Like, we got to get this guy out of here. So there's, there's certainly more that we can uh, discuss right there. But real quick, I did want to take a quick aside to talk about the guys out there that want to start their own forging table, which everyone at this table would highly suggest that you do that. So if you're going to do that, let Crossway help. Crossway is a great publisher. We've had a lot of their authors on We've worked with Crossway to create a forging table starter set. It's right there on the table, but these are five incredible books that you can get for 50% off the entire set. Not just, not a little bit off, 50% off. And the set includes their amazing new ESV men's study Bible, a book of uh, Romans scripture journal study edition, <clears throat> also a devotional by Paul David Tripp. There's also a book by Douglas O'Donnell where it talks about the different aspects or different types of writings in the Bible and how to kind of view them. And then also the book Family Shepherds by Vody Bauckham. It's a must read if you're a father, but it's just a quick three-step process to get that set for 50% off. Go to crossway.org, that is .org, to create a free Crossway Plus account. Put all those books in your cart. The links to the books will be in the show notes. And then use this promo code at checkout. That's BSSP50 to get 50% off at checkout. That's Bravo, Sierra, Sierra, Papa, five, zero. To get that, guys, it will be in the show notes. But let's go ahead and get into verses 15 through 21. So, Ryan, you're fired. Eric Browning, you're up. <laughs> 15 through hey, 21. does Crossway have any of those books like on, like I can listen to them? <laughs> Since I can't. Well, I guess it. the question is, would you even be able to understand them? Like, <laughs> should we send them to you in English? Because I'm not sure it matters re- at this point. I read very slow. Uh, <laughs> no one's shocked by that. All right. 15 yeah. through 21. Yes, sir. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. So Isaiah, again, you know, throughout Matthew, we continue to get uh, a bunch of Isaiah. The The very next section of scripture is where I want us to camp out a little bit. But uh, what do y'all have anything specific on 15 through 21? Because obviously he ordered them not to to make it known that he had done all these things, but nobody would ever abide by that. They always violated it and caused him to kind of leave his ministry for a bit. Yeah, I, I, this is very interesting to me because he's he's basically telling them like what he is here to do and what he is not here to do. And when he, when he talks about, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor anyone hear his voice in the streets. That's a specific tall, uh, call to stirring up revolution. And he's not going to do that. He's not going to like militarily challenge authority and start a revolution. And he's literally telling people, Hey, I'm not here to do that. People still are like, wait, but I thought you were here to do that. Right. right. So, Can you please do that? Yeah. Well, and I liked the, the two um, things that says, says he'll heal the bruised reed or he won't break the bruised reed and the smoldering wick he will not quench. And I, I, um, I, I liked that image. Um, the bruised reed couldn't produce grain. So he's a healer of that. Mm-hmm. And it just refers me back to Matthew 11 that we talked about before about him being gentle and lowly and uh, that we should take his yoke upon him. And then um, just the whole idea of that smoldering wick, I was just thinking of that candle that's just about to go out, you know, and um, he's not, he's not going to allow it to go out. He, he's going to, he's not going to give up on Israel. There was that, the pronouncement of judgment on Judah um, by Isaiah. But at, at the same time, he said, I, there will be a remnant and I will restore. Um, and then ultimately, you know, it's, that last little bit in 21, he says, I'm a, the Gentiles will hope. Um, I just, I've got a buddy that he calls himself a hope dealer. I'm like, well, Jesus is a hope dealer. I, I would like to, to just point out one more thing to yeah. just, just look at this. Like many followed him and he healed them all. That's like what I Whoa. highlighted. Yeah. And here's the thing. He physically healed them, yeah. which is very rare in the Old Testament. You don't see physical healing really in the Old Testament. And so that's one thing that I highlighted was like, if you follow them, he healed you. Yeah, and It's yeah. like with the faith that you talked about in the last episode, the ones that had faith, he healed. 
Yeah, that's good stuff there. Let's keep this ball rolling because there's other good stuff in Matthew 12. Matt, if you could read uh, Matthew 12, verses 22 through 32. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do, you, do your sons cast them out? By the Spirit of God that I cast out demons. Oh, sorry, therefore there will be your judges. But if it is the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. So we probably could have done the whole hour just on this section, but, you know, just kind of the way that we've set up the forging table. Well, who, who, we, me, I set the forging table up like this. So I'm ruining the discussion by saying that we have to keep going after this. So much here to discuss Uh, a couple of highlights and then I'll throw it to you guys. Obviously verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me. These people that think that there is a third way or that there is a different road. um, I just don't understand that. If you're a Christian and you read something like that, and you advocate for things that are literally contrary to the words of Jesus, if you care about the words of Jesus, even if you consider yourself to be a red-letter Christian, these are red letters as well. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Like, that is an active thing by saying, okay, just by you not doing what I'm telling you to do, that doesn't mean everything stays neutral. Things get scattered. It creates chaos, disorder. But obviously the big thing here is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit and we always talk gospel on this show, um, certainly on the forging table. We talk about the gospel. If you go to a good expository church, like you're going to get, you know, full-throated description of the gospel at all times. And typically when we talk about the gospel, it talks about, hey, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the depravity that you've done. Look at King David. You know, he was a, a murderer and a rapist. And like, oh, he was just, he was a terrible guy. And, you know, look, look what came from him. You have the line of Judah coming from the line of David. But then we get here into verse 31 and 32. And it's like, wait a minute, blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. And so as a lot of people have couched, it's like, wait, there is an unforgivable sin. I think Catholics believe that you can't uh, commit suicide and then go to heaven, or maybe you go to purgatory, which is not scriptural at all. Purgatory doesn't even doesn't exist. That doesn't make even make sense. But like, let's let's just talk about the unforgivable sin part because I got to be honest, I've I've read a lot about this section. You know, of all the things in Matthew twelve, this is the part where I read the most commentary about, and I think I got more confused as I was reading through that because I would so. feel like. Yeah, I'm trying to describe it in a way that's going to actually make sense. But like, uh, I knew I knew this would happen too. It's like, dang it, I'm going to like spin myself into a bunch of webs here, but maybe y'all can help me uh, pull myself out. But it's like, okay, the gospel covers all sins, but what exactly is blaspheming the Holy Spirit as an individual? So John Doe does this. He has blasphemed the Holy Spirit. What exactly has he done to make it to where the gospel cannot apply to him anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. it does. Well, uh, I think, okay, wait, all three of y'all are I'm talking about it. Everybody I'm go, go, gets to go first. Oh, because okay. he can read. Go, Eric. All right, all he right. He can read. I can read. Uh, you had a couple of spots there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but your so voice is sultry. <laughs> I was just reading this, just face value. You know, what are these What are these guys saying? They're, they're, they're basically saying evil is doing the good and good is evil, you know, and and they're using. And we go. We go on. We'll see that by our words, um, we are defiled. It's mm. not what goes in our body, but you know, it's what comes out. And so they are. They are basically saying our our heart. Our hearts are hardened, and we're going to go. And, and what what I was saying earlier is like they're they're digging in when they were doubling down. 
you know, at the, at the beginning, it was like, here's a power play. We're going to, we're going to say that's unlawful. And then Jesus says, no, it actually is not because I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And then they were like, well, then, okay. So tell us then, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Since you're the teacher, uh, you tell us. And so he, he, you know, deals with that. And now they're really, really doubling down to the point where um, they're showing the hardness of their heart uh, and just speaking pure evil, you know, by saying that it is by Satan that we do, that you're mm-hmm. doing these things. I want to go because you probably want to add to this, but as a Calvinist, I did have, y'all just do like a secret handshake across the table probably. without actually touching each other? Is like just, a super wink. Like go, like go ahead. It was go, a like wink and a signal. Yeah. God, the Obrons. Well, so let's go. Well, here, this this verse has gotten me. Like, all right, you can do it, right? Now. You can do it. Be serious. At least I don't have to read it. That's uh, true. Um, this verse has always gotten me as like a person who believes in God's sovereignty and who believes that you, there's more to his sovereignty than there is free will. And it's like, I hear exactly where Eric's coming from. Like these guys are basically saying what God is doing through the spirit, through his healing and, and what Christ is doing is of the devil. And they know the truth. They know who God is and they can see what he's doing, that it's not through the devil, it's through God, but they want to, they want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's basically unforgivable, which makes me think of free will. So we know that God is sovereign over who he saves. We know through scripture that he opens our eyes to the beauty of the gospel. But maybe, which has made me thought, what if we've seen the beauty of the gospel and this comes, kind of comes back to the sower of the seed, we, we receive it, but then we blaspheme it later by saying we don't believe. Like, we've seen the beauty of the gospel, but maybe there's people out there that believe, that said they believed and no longer believe the beauty of the gospel. But I think I've heard you say, or at least I've heard, you know, MacArthur, different people say, like, if somebody claims to be a Christian, but then later they uh, walk away from the faith. Mm-hmm. They usually just say, well, they never had the faith. And, and John, John talks about that. Yeah. Does, and, okay. and, and then I see that too, but then also see like God's opened your eyes to the beauty of it. Maybe you had the choice to say, you know what? I'm like these Pharisees and Sadducees did. God's opened their eyes. They know that Christ is, is doing this through God and not through the devil, but they're choosing to say, John says they the departed devil. from us because they were not of us. And that's how, that's how he puts it. And I get that, but I'm saying, does your free will kind of play a role so, in blaspheming the Holy Spirit I, if I you walk th- away? I think we got to define some terms here. Okay. We got to start with who is the arbiter of the law? Who is, who is the creator of the law? Who gets God. to make the decision? God is holy. Yes. A really helpful book for some of these hard passages in the Old, uh, Old Testament and in some of the New Testament is The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Uh-huh. Um, if you want to understand some of the, the things that you can, you can have real heartburn about. The holiness of God is a great place to start. So who is the definer of this? God gets to make the decision. Um, J.C. Ryle is also helpful in understanding, because I think you look at this and you go, oh gosh, have I ever done this? Have I ever blasphemed the Holy Spirit? And J.C. Ryle, the, the great theologian from Liverpool, England said, um, and I'll paraphrase because I don't have the quote in front of me. If those who are, who are worried that they have blasphemed the Holy Spirit are probably not in danger of blaspheming the Holy Spirit because they're thinking about it and they're concerned with it because they are concerned with the things of Christ. Yep. Those who would never admit to it are, are so blinded by their evil that it doesn't even matter. <clears throat> but when we look at that and we look at what, what is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, and like, like you guys are saying, like, it's, they know the truth, they see the truth, yet they are saying that it is not God, it is, it is Satan who is doing these things. We want to see justice, and we want to see justice played out. And if you think, well, I would love to see justice for Satan, this is literally why he will spend eternity in a pit, because he blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. He sat next to God. And said, nah, I want the power. I want the throne. Like, that's unforgivable. So let me, let me ask you, because I feel like we could, because again, like I said, we could just philosophize about this entire thing for, the, for an hour. But on a, on a practical level, on, the, on an actual practical level, I want to know, is blaspheming the Holy Spirit a thing you do? Like, 
or is it a posture of your heart or is it both? Because it's like, if I'm an arsonist, I have to set fire to something. Like there's not a posture of my heart to being I called think, an arsonist. I think this goes back to what, how Proverbs lays out three, the three segments of people. And I don't remember exactly, but the third most, the, the most vile is the foolish. Like they know, or they, they are actively going against the truth. They know the truth, but they are actively going against it. And so they are, they are being fools. And I think Proverbs, I don't remember exactly. The, I, I, hear what, I hear what you're saying on that. But like me as somebody who believes in God's sovereignty, like we will, we will both say that God opens your eyes to the gospel. Yeah. You would agree that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So then can somebody whose eyes are open to the gospel know the truth and say it's not true and blaspheme it? Well, you, you're going to have to make the case that the Pharisees' eyes were open to the gospel. Were they? But I'm just like, let's not even, we can talk about the Pharisees and say, I think their eyes were because Nicodemus was open to it. But he, but that he's one guy. I, I believe in the Bible right now, Christ is calling them out for blaspheming the Holy Spirit because yeah, he's they know warning them. I don't think that they've he, done that yet. I don't think there's, there's not a, Hey, this is you. You guys will spend eternity in hell. I think he is warning them that this is, this is an unforgivable thing. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. But if they've done it, then there is no hope for them. I mean, according they've already to this passage, done it. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, if they haven't already done it, why would he talk about it? <laughs> See, that's, well, I mean, like, that's, that's my I conundrum. Know. I don't yeah. know. But, but, but does, okay, so my, my question, though, again is, has God opened their eyes to the good news? Has he opened their eyes to see? But so you're, you, are you saying that they, that he hasn't? No, I'm asking, I'm asking a okay. question. I don't know where I, I land on this. Because so if so he, that's where, that's where I'm coming from. Okay. I don't know where I land either. Wait, so if, if God hasn't opened their eyes, then. Yeah, are, I thought are, about it halfway before I they, got there. Are they, um, are they Pharaoh? Right. It's exactly what I was thinking earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, their, their heart. They have a heart posture, but like we, again, we see, we see the out, the overflow of their heart through what they're mm-hmm. saying. That's why I think it just naturally flows into the next section that we'll get to is that they're going to be, they're, they're saying that out loud. They're saying, this is, this is our heart posture. And we're saying that this, what you're doing is by Satan. And so Jesus is like, well, you're damning yourself. You're blaspheming the Holy Spirit right now. And so that's where it makes me wonder about nowadays is that. We have many people that call themselves Christians who say that they're saved and they have salvation. And like, maybe, you know, we want to go to the sower, uh, the sower of the seed, which we'll get into. I mean, there's certain things that happen that the root takes hold, but withers, the birds come and eat it. So like when the root takes hold, somebody's hearing the message, their eyes are open to it. Now through discipleship or through whatever they're doing in their circumstances of life, can they, can they just see the truth, but just not believe it. Yeah. I th- uh, my, my commentary talks about they're, they are exposed. They're exposed yeah. to the truth. Not necessarily that they are believing are it, believing it. Okay. That makes sense to me. Then they're exposed to the truth. They can kind of see what's being said, but they're, they don't take on true belief. I mean, this is a stark warning and I think it plays out. Like, I think we can all understand where, where they go, where they end up in eternity. Because I mean, the, the rest of the gospel plays out where they're, yeah. I mean, they just kind of continue along that same path. And then you think about the cities that they talked about in the last episode. And like, I think like it comes down to like, there's variable degrees in hell. Like you're going to, some are going to suffer more in hell than they, than others. And so I think like maybe he's talking about this as well, that there's various degrees of sin, but those who blaspheme the Holy spirit, one don't have the chance at salvation and two hit the pits of hell. Yeah. I don't know. No, I think it's, I think those are good things to wrestle with. And my Sunday school talks about it in this way. There are things in the Bible that we don't understand. So we throw them in the closet and we think, okay, one day I'll put it on a hanger, but then we go in there and there's so many things in the closet that it's just a jumbled mess and we don't know what to do with it. So we just close the closet door. So like, this is one of those things that like we should wrestle with and we should discuss and I don't, maybe, maybe we won't. It's like Spurgeon's so. quote that you, <laughs> right. you ended with, you know, it's like, we're never going to understand these things until we're at the throne of God. I guess and, I'm wanting to just give a warning to people like 
Because it's almost like, hey, don't do this. And then we're like, what is the this exactly? I feel like yeah. we haven't been able to grasp. It's like trying to grab a fistful of water. We haven't like <laughs> fully grasped like what the this is. The this is, <clears throat> from what I'm seeing, is that if, if through the Holy Spirit you are seeing God's truth being done, whether it's through miracles or through, through whatever, be careful on blaspheming that. You know, be careful on saying that's of Satan um, because you, you know, one, you should already know you shouldn't yeah. see that. But even through like your, your, you know, it's like, let's go back to the revival, the revival. It's really hard for me to say that revival was of Satan. I would never say You're talking that. about Asbury. Yeah. Asbury okay. revival. Do I think the fruit of the Asbury revival is going to be seen? Yes. There's going to be some fruit out of that. Um, hopefully there's fruit out of it, but like those people coming out and saying, well, this is something of Satan. They might want to be careful. Yeah, with that. that's, that's the warning. That's, well, it, do you know it to be of God? You do know it to be of God, but you're still rejecting it. Yeah, that is what. Yeah, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is. And you I know, you you know it question. to be. You need. You know it to be true that it is of God that this is happening, but you are rejecting that. Yep. Eric, get the last word on this. And then yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, and I'm just thinking of it as layers of hardening. Just so you know, like, um, and so I, I was going. I went to Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews three. I'll read this uh, seven through. I won't read the whole thing. It says this. uh, So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. I think it's talking about when they were taken out of Egypt and then rebelled in the wilderness during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. And so we know that they all perished before they actually went into the promised promised land. And it goes on, it says uh, in verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitful, deceitfulness. So I'll stop there and it keeps going um, for the rest of the, um, the, the chapter on, on the same vein. But then I, I remember this verse, that, and you guys help me if, you, if you've read this um, before and have a similar thought, but Proverbs 29, 1 says, whoever remains stiff-necked after re- many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. And so I just, and I don't know, I just know that um, when we're exposed to something and we don't respond to it, I don't know that that's enough to be like, oh, okay, where are you going to hell now? Um, but I feel like, as we're as we're exposed to it repeatedly, and we don't respond to it, we 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 get layer upon layer of hardening until there's a final hardening, almost similar to this Proverbs twenty nine one, where it's like, all right, enough. You'll it's be almost destroyed. like oh, so it's just exactly like Pharaoh. Well, yeah, and I was thinking yeah. of <clears throat> Christopher Hitchens, where he would even towards the end of his life, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, he kept being asked these questions at these debates, and it's like, hey man, what would it take? for you to, to actually believe, like if, you know, God moved all the clouds and spelled out in the sky, like, Hey, Christopher, I'm here. I'm real. That kind of thing. He'd be like, no, that wouldn't do anything. Cause I would just think that I had had a mental breakdown and that kind of thing. It's like, okay, at that point, it's Your like, it's not decided. that that person is, yeah. is completely helpless, but it's like, he he's made his decision. Like he has put his flag in the ground and then poured concrete around it. And, and um, God gives us up. He lets us make the exchange. Yeah. He's like, go ahead, play him. You can, you can uh, rock with that uh, worldview think, if you want and to. And that's like God showing grace and not doing that to him. Yeah. You know, that's like God's grace. And well, also like, look at Paul, look at Paul. Like Paul was, I mean, he killed a bunch of people, killed a bunch of people who were proclaiming Christ. He was forgiven. But when he was confronted by Christ and he knew, oh my gosh, this is God, then what did he do? He believed. He believed. Repented. He repented and believed. And then he went on to become, obviously everybody knows who Paul is, like wrote a third of the New Testament yep. or maybe more. I don't know. But Probably. All right. There's certainly more we can get into there, but we got to keep this train moving at least a little bit. Eric, if you can hit 33 through 37, please. Certainly. <clears throat> Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. 
The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So I'm reminded every time I read in scripture and I see the word fruit of like, John MacArthur doesn't think anybody's fruit is sweet enough. And it's like, dadgummit, he must have the best pomegranates in existence. But, you know, you can take that that any way you want to. I read that because it thought of you the whole time I was reading it. I was like, I bet you Kyle is just like, I don't just can't listen to John MacArthur talk about fruit and think that you've got good enough fruit. It's just impossible. Like, I just don't get it. Why you just come away. I think that's why he does it. Because so he, he wants everyone. No, so he knows that you need to cling to Christ to or, bear more fruit. Or keep I, pushing that rock before, up and I'll say, I'll say it again. No one is less assured of their salvation than someone who's listening to John MacArthur preach about yeah. the assurance of salvation. <laughs> and I, and you shouldn't be assured about your salvation. Hey, you should the constantly thing, strive for Jesus. On the shelf, which is over your shoulder, Eric, there's a John MacArthur book called Saved Without a Doubt. And if you get to <laughs> into that book and your doubts aren't bigger, you didn't read it correctly, you need to go back and read it again. But I don't really want to talk about that. I want to talk about, there's an interesting dichotomy here. So Jesus calls these these men, you brood of vipers. Yeah. You guys don't even fully appreciate how rough it would have been at that time to hear someone call you a brood of vipers. John especially did. if you were, yeah, exactly. But especially if you were like, because people are like, you know, Jesus never ruffled feathers. Like he never really did any of those things. It's like, how? Like, I can't think of a modern corollary that would be appropriate for me to say into this microphone right now. But if you were to call a group of people a certain thing, like they would have just been completely aghast. But in this same paragraph, he says that we will have to give an account for every careless word. And he is excluding what he just said in that argument that he's making or in that declarative, I guess you could say. And so what I mean, chill out, Ryan. I'm sorry. Not quite done. But that's what I want to say to people that these, I want to be known for what I'm for, not what I'm against people. These, I don't want to ruffle any feathers people. These tone police people that Vody Bakken likes to talk about to where it's like, well, what you're saying is probably okay, but it just makes me feel bad. So can you come up with different phraseology, please? Like those types of people, I want them to read this section and think to themselves, Jesus, said to this group of people, you brood of vipers. And that was enough to get, those are fighting words back in those days. And in the same breath, he's saying, hey, you're going to have to give an account for every careless word. And he doesn't consider that to be careless in the way that he did it. Well, nothing Jesus did was careless. And I think that's, that's a call to, it's not, it's not that you can't say those things. It's the, oh, you did something bad to me, so I'm just going to pop off and say something mean. The fact that it is taken as being mean is not the point, but he was very calculated and careful with what he said and what he said. He meant what he said. So I, he was righteous in what he did. I mean, you brood of vipers, he basically called them snakes and that's what they are. What did the snake do in the garden? Did God really say that? Did God really say this? What just happened in the, in the uh, part we talked about beforehand, they, called him out and said that his miracles were done by Beelzebub, you know, by the devil. And so they're, they're snakes. They're trying to say what God is doing is, is what the devil is doing. And, you know, that's the house divided before itself will not stand. And so he's basically just calling them out and he's calling them out on the careless words that they use. And he's not using careless words when he calls them snakes because that's exactly what they are. Yeah, I think that that's a, that's a great point there with that. And I think that we have to be very careful here because I don't necessarily want to get into a discussion about what words we can and cannot say. Um, that's, that's something that, you know, a lot of people have kind of said because it's like, okay, it's a cuss word to you is not a cuss word to somebody else. And there are words that are dirty. Like <clears throat> we had, <clears throat> we had a, um, my first youth leader, my second youth leader, his wife hated the word suck. So if you're like, oh man, that sucks. She'd be like, no, absolutely not. You cannot say that. And then you can say that in front of, you know, a myriad of other people and they're, they just don't really respond to that. And so I think it's just the carelessness of our words. I think we see this throughout scripture, obviously here, whenever you're talking to somebody in a judgmental way where you're assuming the judgment seat of God over their life, that would be fairly careless on your end. You know, when you demean 
people in your life where you are meaning to to put them down or to say rude things to them it's not necessarily like hey here's the words that you can't say on television or radio and that also applies to the bible but you know i don't really want to go too much farther into that um i want to get into this next section here i don't necessarily want us to read it but this well actually let, let's go ahead and read it so uh matt if you can hit uh verse 38 through 42 the sign of jonah then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seek for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, Something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Okay, so what I want to discuss here, and I want y'all to give me your opinions, is can we take this section to mean that Jesus took the story of Jonah literally as history? Because I've seen some people say, hey, you have a problem with the story of Jonah and the whale? Well, you have a problem with Jesus because Jesus believes in the literal, you know, swallowing of a, of a human being and living inside of an animal for three days. Like that, that's, you're basically going against that. But I've heard other people say, Jesus saying this, he's referring to a story that had been passed down in oral tradition that nobody took literally. It's more like a, a, a myth that, that is kind of passed on through culture. It could be kind of like a parable of, of Jonah. I've seen both arguments. I don't find the second one to be as, um, as legitimate as the first one. It seems like Jesus is saying, hey, yeah, this is something that actually happened, and he's making reference to it. What are y'all's thoughts? I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it really matters to me like that, I, if that's true or not. Like the point is that he's literally predicting his death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. that's the that's the the key takeaway for me yeah i, I don't know where i, I landed. i didn't that. i didn't get hung up on that either i just kind of yeah take it for what it well, is hey like, you jerks wait get, a minute why do people wait get hung up on it that's my question you want to know why people get hung up on it because yeah. it's the same people that want to dismiss the entire bible because hey we have no evidence of the great flood or hey the, this idea that a man lived inside the belly of a whale i'm not going to listen to the words of jesus because it's in the same book as something that literally could not happen so that so that's the reason why it's like did he take this literally same thing people don't believe in the literal six day or seven day creation or how 24 hour days were constructed or blah, 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 or all those types of but, things. And it be, it's a stumbling block for people to the rest of the book. But this, those same people believe that a man died and was resurrected three days later, which has been proven. Like you can believe that part, but you can't believe anything else. No, no, no. I'm talking about non-believers. Oh, non-believers. Yeah, okay. I'm talking about now. There are certainly Christians that just, they do not want to talk about Jonah because they're like, crap, I have no idea what to say about this. I don't know how to respond to dinosaurs. I don't know about any of this kind of stuff. I'm talking about people that are like somewhere between completely atheistic and maybe on the fence. And then they, they go into some of these old Testament stories and they're like, okay, if this is history, and this is a critique of William Lane Craig, because some people are like, William Lane Craig is softening some of the, the things in the Bible by calling it like mytho-history. So like the story of Adam and Eve is mytho-history. So it didn't happen exactly as it was described there because it was written in a particular way to where it would be artistically accepted, I guess you could say. And so that's, that's the problem that, that people are having is like, wait, is this a myth? Is this mytho-history? Is this history? Like, did this exactly happen this way? Because again, if you're reading the book, the book filled with miracles, what's one more miracle? But the living in the belly of a whale for multiple days, it's like, come on. Like, there's. All I have to say is that when Christ brought this up, I don't think he was bringing it up as this is what really happened. I think he believes that it happened. Um, But I think we're missing the overall message if we're reading this and we're trying to say, hey, Christ brought this up because it is true or he thinks it's true. That's not the overall message of this. But this guy, our Lord and Savior, probably believes, I would say believes this because anything can happen. He was a man that was raised from the dead three days later and resurrected. And then 
ascended to heaven. Anything so, is possible. Anything is Kevin possible. Garnett? Yeah. Anything. <laughs> Why does nobody want to answer my dang well, question? I, I just, I just like, answered it. You just it. turned just into a Caleb ad and I'm over here just basically no, talking like, I, did Jonah, act, was this a yes, real story I, I or believe, was it not? I believe it's a real story. I, I okay. It's a There's, real one. Story. There's one. There's one. Okay. I'll be two. I'll believe, I believe it's a real story as well. And like, I, 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 I will, I will give some, some context to why I think that there are lots of things in the old Testament that are dress rehearsals for Christ. Yep. And I think that's just, that falls in line with another dress rehearsal for Christ and Joseph, Moses, David, Jonah. These are dress rehearsals for what is ultimately our salvation. So I, I believe that well, it happened. And I think the most important thing are we going to still discuss this passage? Do you have any questions on it, or can I go? Oh, are you one? just going to answer them all this time? No, I'm like going to ask them the first I already, time. I already asked them. I you just, just want talked to, go to me like I was your second grade student. <laughs> like, come on. Well, I'm just saying, like, I want to go into. I mean, sometimes you have to talk to atheists as a second grade student. Um, but uh, I wanted to go into what. Did the, he just call me an atheist? <laughs> no, <laughs> hey, you, you're you going to give you an were, account for all you your were, careless you words. You were asking an atheistic question. I didn't say you were an atheist. I'm hmm. just saying your question was even your Theo your, bro kind of got a little second grade question deserved a second grade answer. <laughs> Okay. So. <laughs> Explain it to me like I'm three. Okay, let's move on because no, I don't want to move away. From no, let's this. just move no, on. No, I don't want to move away from hold this. Hold on, hold on. I, like Kyle is bringing up some really good things that we should wrestle with as Christians. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, because those like we don't get to we don't get to pick the questions that are asked of us, but we do get to decide whether we wrestle with those and and try to think about them logically and biblically. So these are good things for us to think about and I, formulate some, some opinions on. And we have to give I an agree. account for the hope that is within us. And the thing about it is, is you're going to run into those questions with somebody to where they're like, okay, yeah, yeah. The resurrection and all that. Fine. What about dinosaurs? What do you think about dinosaurs? And the way you answer that question is going to affect. And again, maybe this doesn't matter because they're either elect or not, but at the same time, it's like it's you have to have, this doesn't mean you need to be an expert on everything. But how you answer the question about Jonah and the whale matters whenever you're witnessing to people. I don't see how it couldn't. I, and I hear you. I did, one, I didn't insult your question. I insulted well, you just after called me an atheist. So you that's insulted fine. me for answering the question. I insult you? I just wanted you an told answer. Me I, I gave a condescending I, answer. No, I said same. you gave a Caleb commercial answer. That's you even worse, man. Caleb is worse. <laughs> it is worse. I'd Positive, a, encouraging. I'd rather that's be, worse. I'd that's worse than saying Eric looks like a scarf guy. Yeah, I know. That's the worst thing that's been said. I think yes and no. Yes, it matters how we respond, but I think it more matters how we respond in, in faith in a biblical way. Yeah. It's not our responsibility to convince somebody of something, like, but we should, we should feel convicted to give a faithful and truthful, well-thought-out biblical response. That's our responsibility. And I think I did that because it was positive and it was encouraging. <laughs> Now, is there a better time to transition than that? Well, do we have any occurs? I don't have any ads I could read. I would definitely uh, like to read an ad here. Hey, uh, just real quick. We're, we're not really going to discuss this section because we're running out of time. But Eric, if you can read 43 through 45 real quick, the return of the unclean spirit. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. Ooh, Ooh yeah, I, trauma. I, I trauma. like, I like this, is a good, this is a good section of the, of the, the chapter. Well, I was about to just kind of glaze over it, so oh, how about you tell no. us why? Go yeah. for it. Well, I... So we were talking about an unclean spirit leaving, comes back, it's put in order. Somebody had to put it in order. So what I think he's describing here is this generation that thinks the moral, the moral way to do things, I'm going to clean up my life and that, and that is good and that will get me in because I've cleaned up my life. What they're missing is being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Because a demon is not, I don't believe that Christians who are in Christ can be indwelled by, can be demon possessed. You, you can't like, and I don't like, I think the, the Bible is pretty clear on that. 
But if you just think, okay, I'm going to stop sinning and I'm going to clean up my life, there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. You, like there, you could say, you can see, get a lot of positives out of that. But if you're not indwelled by the Holy Spirit, it's just coming back and it's going to be worse than it was before. Yeah. Well, and addictive okay. personalities, um, just think about that. I mean, you've got a lot of these books to help you get rid of addiction, right? But if it, if it doesn't insert Jesus somewhere in there, it's incomplete. Yeah. And oftentimes we'll see people just go from one addiction to another kind of addiction. Or they'll, go, they'll clean up their drug addiction and they'll go back to that same drug addiction, but it will get 10 times worse. And I, they, I, that's kind of what is being alluded to here. It's attempts at moral reform. Yeah. Moral yeah. reform. Exactly. Yeah. Right. They're just trying to be more moral in their life and and, but they don't know where that morality exists. They don't know who that morality comes from. It's just kind of what they know and kind of what they're wanting to develop on their own. Um, you know, I have family and friends that have gone through, you know, substance abuse and I've gone through a lot of those classes with them. Um, and I, I feel like everything that's always missing is Christ. They want you to have some higher power, but that higher power is never Christ. You develop that higher power. And sadly, that higher power that they're developing is another addiction. Yeah. I- and it's, would agree, uh, I would agree with that. I yeah, have a lot of problems with the, the way that those types of programs can yeah. play out. Well, they're missing life. out on this verse. They're missing out on this section of Matthew. What's well, also identity. That's what um, some different people that are from really good recovery programs is like they're missing out on like, you don't start by saying, hi, my name is Kyle. I'm an alcoholic. It's hi, my name is Kyle. I'm covered by the blood of Christ. Yeah. And it's in him right. that I, you know, that I live and those types of things. And it's like, okay. Those are important things to remember because if you actually believe that, oh, you know, I haven't had a drink in 20 years, but hey, I'm still an alcoholic. It's like, mm, man, that's just the wrong posture yeah. yep. for how you would discuss that's something like that. That's an excellent point. You should have a podcast. Ooh, yeah. You know yeah, what? That'd be great. And maybe I can be 500 episodes in at this point. I'll there, listen to it. There's an interesting thing um, here that, where it says it passes through waterless places. It reminded me of the time when um, Jesus was in the Gadarenes and the two demo- demonics. Demoniacs. Demoniacs. Yeah. <laughs> he, he cast the evil spirits out and they said, well, let's go to the swine. And then where did the swine go? They went into the, into the water and died. Uh, I, as I feel like if I, I've read this somewhere with that community or that in that time period, like water was kind of like people were fearful of the water. Was that because that's where they felt like evil spirits lived or, or what did y'all know? I, I don't, I don't really want to go into to that here. Um, I think there is a case to be made for that. Um, I think there's people who would, would try to give evidence to that. I think water has always been something where we don't know what is going, like we, we are, we are not naturally water people. Like we've got to build ships to go in there. We, we can't be under for long periods of time. There's this mystery to water. So I think to your point, yeah, I think there's a lot there. There could be a lot of that. Yeah, there's some things that I don't know. There's some mysteries, and probably some of them are demonic. I never really looked at it at all, but I, I mean, could they have thought that? Yeah, but I also see water as cleansing. We're baptized in water. So, you know, it's just, I don't know. That's just something I never really thought about. Thank you. There was, there was <laughs> one commentary I read that kind of went into that. I completely forget the point that they made. So in between, I'll try to find, yeah, find that one and, and get it over to you. But uh, considering the ups and downs of this particular podcast and the things that we've kind of come to here at the end, I feel like it would be remiss <clears throat> if, Ryan, we didn't have you read <laughs> the last section. All the words are easy. Need to come back and totally <laughs> yeah, you, redeem yeah. myself. This you, is your you moment. Can, you can do uh, it. Close okay. out Matthew 12. Let's go. While he was still speaking to the people. Behold, his mother and his brother stood outside, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You did it. You guys... I read without messing up. Is that the first slow clap we've ever had on the Forge? I I, I thought about doing slow clap, but then I just sped it up because it got weird. Your old man knows how to read. It got weird almost immediately. Uh, The funny thing is I wrote in my notes is attention Catholics. Mary definitely had sex after having Jesus because like Jesus had, had brothers. It's just kind of like, like I don't understand why these people and Orthodox people think that, you know, like Mary was undefiled her entire life. Like, give me a break. And Jesus also didn't have any older brothers. Because for him to be legally David's line, he had to be the first oldest. Right. 
But I, I think the point being here, because some people are like, oh my gosh, this is kind of rude to his mother. Like he's saying that Mary's not his mom, but here is my mother and my brothers. That's not the point. The point is, is that there is a family that is above your earthly family. And he's basically describing the disciples that includes Judas as part of that family. And like, wait, these are my family. And it goes back to what was it in Matthew 11 to where it's like, you know, John was the best, you know, person born of woman, but even he, if he didn't have Christ would have nothing. And it's like, imagine having a great family here on earth, but then not having a, a Christian family, not having a family in heaven, those types of things, I think is just important for us to to think about. Anything else real quick before we close yeah. out? Oh, wow. Everybody's got something. I've got okay. one thing to hey, close out on. All right, that. we'll go in order. All right, oh, in order. No, well, no, I guess not. You, no, you uh, raised your big uh, man, finger. I You're like, go all ahead, right. Browning. Go ahead, Browning. So this reminded me of a book I read by C.S. Lewis called Till We All, or Till We Have Faces. I don't know if you've read that. Have you read that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting book, um, and it's it's kind of a redo of an older like myth, I think. Um, but there's it's it's basically an interaction between a, a, a girl named Psyche and her sister. I think it's Oriole, Oriole. I'm not sure, but anyways, I want Oreos all of a sudden. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but Psy- yeah. Psyche has to be sacrificed. I won't go into the details uh, to the god of the mountain. Uh, she goes there, and she's convicted. That this is this is where she needs actually need to needs to be. She's not sacrificed. She's taken in by the God of the Mountain. Her sister is like, wait a second, what? And tries to talk her out of staying with the God of the Mountain because the God of the Mountain won't show his face and comes to her in the night. So she's like, man, something's really weird here. You've got to get away from this God of the Mountain. And so does the story goes on that tries to convince Psyche to to leave and eventually. There's a disruption and she gets kicked out and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, but my point is, is that I don't know what was going on here and maybe I'm reading way, way too much in, into it because I was kind of perplexed. Uh, was this an, a time period where uh, the his brother or brothers and his mom were, were kind of like, listen, I don't know what you're doing, Jesus, but you're really stirring things up and we are fearful, not only for our own family, but for your life. So we we need you to consider stopping. I don't I don't know what's going on there, but I know that he must have said that for a reason, right? He was like, so right now my mom and my brothers are are not following me, but these guys are. You think that's what's going on there? I think there's there's some I think there's probably some evidence to that because James he came around pretty late. He was a he he was a late comer to the to the game, right? Like he was, he, he was a, opposed in the beginning. So I I think that that's probably a pretty good speculation there. I think there's a good speculation there for that. I think what it comes down to is he's not trying to repudiate the family, uh, the earthly family. He's just trying to draw in the spiritual family. Mm. And so I kind of look at that as like he's encouraging believers in him to believe rather than, you know, I think this is encouragement for our believers that are listening to this podcast right now that may maybe live among people who don't believe and probably get a lot of animosity towards that. And to stay strong in their belief because there is a spiritual family there for them rather than their earthly family. This is right now. So which kind of goes back to what you were saying, that maybe he was dealing with some animosity. Well, sure. And and I think the point of that book was that there there are times where people that even love us dearly think they know the best for us and they don't necessarily. Because the point in that book was that the God of the mountain was a good dude. Um, and that Psyche was supposed to be there. And here here was sister trying to, in a loving way, draw her away from where she needed to be. Well, I, yeah, yeah so, I, it's I also, you. it's encouraging, I think, because through the adoption into God's family, we receive the sonship. And so, uh, obviously, we should pray and hope that our earthly family is in mm. Christ, and we should preach to our children and lead them to Christ. But how great is it that we also have a spiritual family that we're not quote unquote blood related to, but mm-hmm. God is all about adoption. Yep. And we're, we're, if we're in Christ, we receive the sonship and adoption into the family and we get the inheritance. And that's pretty cool. It is cool. Anybody got anything else on that before we wrap up? No, we're good. The last two sections, I was like, oh, we'll kind of move through these. And it's like, crap, I completely didn't read the room. So that one's on me. But I could have went to- in more on Jonah. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> There's a, I had a whole thing to talk about. Did you? Yes, I did. Okay, well, you want to do that now? 
No. Okay. Well, I, I can do it right so. now. No, I don't want to do it right now. I didn't think you did. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to get in trouble. I just don't want anything else coming out of your face. It's so anticlimactic. It's okay. It's okay. I just wanted to leave everybody disappointed. So we're going to have to leave it there for now, but make sure you come back here next Sunday where we're going to dig into Matthew 13. So make sure you're read through Matthew 13. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. A couple of links for you, actually a lot of links if you want to start your own forging table. All the links are there for that, but also a link to our donation page, guys. We can't do anything uh, that we're doing here. We can't perform any of the things with the forging table or on the podcast or anywhere else without supporters. So go there and hop on board. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>